So, hello again. You're listening to the Blockchain Socialist Podcast. And for today's guest, I have Julio Linares. He's an economic anthropologist who studied under David Graeber at the LSE. He is social outreach at the Basic Income Org and works on research and community for Circles UBI based in Berlin. So, hey, Julio, how are you doing? Hola, hello. How's it going? Pretty good. Yeah, so I, I really enjoyed listening to you speak during the Money Lab conference, how uh, direct you were about being an anarchist and uh, not believing or not believing in the existing the existence of the state, uh, which I thought was very cool. Um, and to like see people uh, <laughs> like, oh, wow, he's really going to say it. <laughs> it was very cool. And like to hear how honest and open you were about your um about how you felt about money and about like the research that you're doing. Um, but so maybe we get into, before we get into that, um, could you introduce us a bit um, to your work and like to you and how you got into the cryptocurrency space and now working with uh, Circles UBI? I guess you could say my work is somehow at the intersection between money, uh, basic income and direct democracy. So what I'm trying to do is to shift the way in which money is created by, uh, uh, you know, creating tools, creating forms, social forms where people can issue it out uh, to the world as opposed to a bank or a state. And then through that process, democratize the economy around them. So in that sense, money is just kind of like a territory uh, or, a, or a way, I mean, a promise, really a mutual promise that, that people make to each other in order to create a different economy um, and give a basic income to each other. So that's kind of like the, the goal uh, is really to uh, issue enough money that every individual has uh, the ability to cover their basic needs. And, you know, ideally, if it's a full UBI, not have to rely on wage labor. Uh, as the main as the main means to uh, sustain themselves, a basic income, of course, is defined as an unconditional amount of money given to everybody in a in a given universe, <laughs> in a given uh, political community, uh, and it's the unconditional part is really important. It means that it's not uh, means tested uh, or there is no work requirement basically for it. You don't have to prove that you are specific gender or specific uh, earning a specific income. Uh, or, or proving that you have to, that you're working, anything like this, it's uh, unconditional, right? And that, that's, I believe, the most uh, liberatory part of it. Uh, and of course, that is given to everybody. And that's really the challenge. So I got, I got to um, uh, circles through many different random, uh, or I guess not random, I don't know, uh, uh, stories. Uh, first, I mean, I started working on basic income when I was in Taiwan. I'm originally from Guatemala. I uh, went to Taiwan when I was 19 with a scholarship, and I was there for six years. And initially, I studied economics there. I was doing, uh, uh, yeah, just, you know, a normal economics student uh, at Taiwanese University, uh, you know, trying to understand. I thought, you know, I had this naive belief when I was, like, 19 that if I learn how the economy worked uh, by studying economics, I could somehow 
help change the situation in my country. So this was my uh, initial uh, desire, so to say. But then when I started reading all these books about, you know, Manchu and all these neocons, I, I realized that, you know, the actual history of, you know, a place like Taiwan where I lived and how it, you know, created its industrial capabilities and its industries and technologies and, and so on, which gave it a lot of its wealth. Also, you know, basically the political economy of it uh, was really different from what I, what I was taught um, uh, in the books. And so I started digging deeper and, and that led me to anthropology, uh, specifically to the work of Carpolani, who talked a lot about uh, this idea of the fictitious commodities, uh, namely uh, land, labor, and money. So basically this idea that land, our bodies, you know, work, uh, the, uh, and money, our promises, were not always commodities. They were commodified under the, you know, by different historical um, happenings, right? And and so I thought, oh, wow, like this was back in 2014 or 2015, I think. Uh, and then I thought, oh, wow, wouldn't, like, if, you know, a uh, basic income be a way whereby uh, people could decommodify their work uh, and sort of broaden the idea of what work is and also uh, by doing that also decommodify money somehow. Uh, and that was kind of the initial question that led me to doing basic income stuff, activism around it. So initially I started, uh, we started a network in Taiwan uh, with some friends to promote basic income there. and. Uh, we made like a team and we had like students come and learn about basic income and all the research that had been done uh, up to that time. And it was really practical. It was kind of focused on this type of policy papers. No? So like how to finance a basic income from a state perspective. And, you know, through, through that, I, you know, sort of like learned about all these methods and all these ways in which you could theoretically create a basic income from the perspective of the state. Uh, so a sovereign wealth fund, uh, you know, monetary creation and monetary destruction via taxation and so on. Um, and that led me also to question, I guess, what money is really, like to go to actually the root of money, where, where does it come from, and all these types of fundamental questions. And at the time, because of, uh, you know, Polanyi, I somehow stumbled upon David's work, um, specifically his work on value and, of course, his work on debt. And I thought, okay, this guy seems cool. I should talk to him. And so I applied for another scholarship when I was in Taiwan to go to London. I thought, okay, this guy might help me out. Uh, you know, maybe by you know studying, you know, uh, with him and so on, could figure out a way to, uh, yeah, rethink money somehow. And when I was in Taiwan, I mean, ta Taiwan is a very hacker-friendly place. Somehow, there's a lot of uh, people um, that are into crypto and technology in general. And I met a hacker there who knew some of the people that were part of circles at the time and who knew I was doing work on basic income and he kind of connected us. And during that period, I was uh, also on my way to London and, and then I met them, I think. At, yeah, I was at a conference at the, we do like with BN, the Basic Income Earth Network that you mentioned, we do like, like national, uh, sorry, uh, annual congresses. This year is in, is in Scotland and that year was in Portugal. So I met them there and we kind of, you know, slowly became buddies, became friends. And they needed somebody at the time to do research on what they were doing. Uh, at the time, there was no circles yet. Like it was an idea. Uh, and yeah, and slowly through that process, when I graduated from the LSE, I initially 
wanted to do a PhD um, uh, on something else, and then I ended up uh, uh, having no money. Like I, had, I didn't get a scholarship for it for this PhD. I remember David was really pissed off about this because um, I never funded any of his activist students. Uh, and then, yeah, I just basically, I needed a job. I needed uh, some money. My dad was dying. He had cancer <laughs> in his brain. So I was like, okay. And they, they were like, hey, we can, you know, give you a job. And I was like, okay, uh, let's do this. And so I, I moved to Berlin after London. Well, that's a, an incredible story, I have to say. You've been in several different parts of the world, <laughs> three different continents, at least. <laughs> it was definitely a nonlinear journey. So then I'm curious what you thought in the beginning about cryptocurrencies, maybe around that time, since I imagine at that point, I don't, it sounds like you were getting, I mean, radicalized, like towards the left, of course. And I assume at that point, cryptocurrency was not really that far developed in terms of UBI or in terms of like maybe... Basically, the biggest use case for crypto was largely Bitcoin speculation, probably um, around that time. So I'm, I'm curious, what was your thoughts around then? Yeah, I mean, I guess I was more interested in the infrastructure uh, as a political economy, you know, space, let's say. Uh, but you're right. I mean, at the time, uh, it was mostly like uh, Bitcoin speculation, Ether speculation, also Ripple, I think, was big back then. But yeah, it was just many people with this idea that Bitcoin is somehow money, right? And it's like, uh, I mean, we don't have to get into that, but, you know, just this fetishization over, yeah, these digital collectibles. It's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, totally. Talk hours so yeah, I mean, that was, that was a space back then, right? And uh, But there was so much uh, imagination. That, I think that's what I liked about the space, that it was open for imagination. You know, it mm -hmm. still is in, in many ways. And so people were like, yeah, you know, let's just, you know, do a basic income on the blockchain. And that just sounded interesting in terms of like, okay, you don't have to wait for a state to do it. That's true. You can do it, you know, uh, embedded in a community of trust, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And so that, that kind of like coincided with a lot of the stuff I was doing at the time also, like, um, when I was in London, I got to meet a lot of uh, a lot of friends, a lot of comrades from the Kurdish movement, uh, and I was really drawn into that. So, you know, at the time also with David, we were. I was. He actually asked me what to do some sort of synthesis between uh, his work on that and Ojalan's work on, you know, uh, democratic modernity and like uh, also, well, I guess also his work on anti-patriarchal stuff and. And just on like uh, democratize the democratization of life, I guess in many ways, uh, this sociology of freedom, as he calls it. it that 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 would be a, a really interesting synthesis that I would uh, I'd want to look at immediately. In some of the some of the work that I've seen, and I think you're sort of alluding to it in some of your explanation. You've talked about what uh, I think I'm not sure if you termed it, but it's called an ecology of care in like in relationship to a, a universal basic income. So I was curious, like what, and as well, just to add a caveat, I guess, because I've, I've listened to some of David Graeber's uh, seminars before where he, uh, I think in his book, Bullshit Jobs, sort of like changing, uh, transitioning instead of always thinking about labor as like the only form of work, but also like care as a form of like the basis of work, which I guess is is a big part of the UBI movement. But like, what what does that look like? Do you think like having an ecology of care as opposed to you know the standard wage slavery that 
me and I'm sure many others who are listening suffer under uh, in, under capitalism? Yeah, I guess I mean um, it's a very broad question. I guess it's like kind of it's kind of like this this thing of like if you can rethink what work is and not just focus on like, the end products, you know, like a, like a glass. I mean, David always used to say this, no? like you make a cup once, but you wash it a thousand times. So most work is just maintaining stuff, uh, taking care of others, taking care of people, right? We wouldn't be here without the care of our mothers, our fathers, our ancestors, really. So uh, decentering like this sort of uh, uh, idea of production as the main sort of driving force of an economy to actually the production of people uh, and the people we want to have around uh, without forms of domination. So also like abolishing all these types of, uh, yeah, I guess hierarchical relationships that come with uh, things like wage labor, right? And so for me, what became interested about basic income was like as a way into um, imagining and thinking practically about uh, how could the reformulation of money as a commons, even as a basic income, lead to people caring more uh, and caring, you know, as they want from each, from, to, with each other, uh, with the environment, you know, not having these relationships of domination over each other, and then also over uh, what you call nature, right? Because we are also part of nature, right? And so, yeah, I thought maybe like through a basic income that is, you know, given at, with, you know, claimed as, as democratic money, uh, we could go beyond, it could be a way out of this whole nation state hurdle that we're in, and also hopefully about, oh, oh, you know, uh, beyond capitalism. Uh, and that's kind of like, that's kind of like the ideas I'm trying to put into practice with circles. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, a that's lot of dream. contradictions. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I want to get I want to get to uh, to the contradictions part maybe a little bit later. Um, but so, what is democratic money, and you know what what does it promise us? Um, maybe as opposed to the regular economy, and even like as opposed to how cryptocurrencies are are usually formulated. I guess you know nowadays there is a lot of talk about MMT about modern monetary. Uh, which is actually coming a lot from, you know, the sort of idea that money is not a commodity, but actually a form of credit. Now, there is this other part to this theory that, you know, is based on this idea of the state theory of money, it's called by a guy called Knapp, some German dude nobody remembers anymore, uh, 19th century, somewhere in Germany, uh, 20th century, I think, maybe. Anyways, so there is this sort of naturalization that says that, you know, money uh, understood as, you know, credit, mutual forms of credit uh, that we make to each other, promises we make to each other, uh, can only happen through the state. Uh, and this is historically not true. I mean, uh, it does happen, of course, but there are many, many social forms, many types of communities that have issued uh, money to each other to settle their debts, really. I mean, um, and so claiming the democratic money, like also by using Ojalan, and this is kind of like saying like, we have to democratize life in all its dimensions, uh, the political dimension, uh, the, you know, the relationships uh, uh, between people in all, 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 all dimensions. So not just the politics, but also uh, ecological stuff, how we produce things, uh, the economy, how we understand the economy and so on. All of these things have to be democratized and yeah, that includes money. And so democratic money is just basically saying, 
it is people who have the ability to issue uh, promises to each other freely and then, yeah, decide about uh, the boundaries of what the resources they want to claim from each other and how. Right now we live in a very non-consensual money system. Uh, and so how do you make that more consensual, you know? Um, that's kind of like, I guess, where I'm trying to take that. And so, I mean, all my love and solidarity to to MMT people, but it's also a question about empire, you know? Like, you can talk about MMT, sure, and it, it might create make sense in somewhere like the US, but the, the dollar is, I mean, an imperial currency. Uh, and so... Yeah. I'm curious to hear uh, what people in the left in the U.S. have to say about this. I think to me, I sort of think of MMT as just like maybe the correct observation about how a lot of um, at least like imperial countries, how their monetary system sort of works and like what they're able to get away with. But it's not any sort of prescription for like what we actually want the end goal to be. Yeah, it's also a question about, you know, the role of the state and, you know, yeah, how do we organize outside of it, within it, against it, you know, it's a lot of questions in there. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of the, the analysis is correct. I mean, you know, states uh, do create money and they, you know, can destroy it as well, you know, because they have power over life and death. and. That's sort of part of the problem, I guess. Like the U.S. Army, which kind of backs up the dollar, is the biggest polluter in the world. Uh, yeah. So wouldn't you know the MMT mean the abolition of the U.S. Army and you know use all that money yeah. to fund infrastructure in the U.S.? This is a this is a huge fact that is ignored a lot amongst the left whenever they criticize cryptocurrencies and their energy use. Not that I'm defending it. But there's also the people tend to forget that the U.S. military is the uh, largest polluter. And um, that is basically what allows Sovereign money to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, I think I mean, the, the question about um, the ecological dimensions of things like Bitcoin and so on, I think that has a lot to do with, uh, you know, what I call the politics of algorithms. Um, so like. In a way, Bitcoin is also quite imperialistic in some senses. Like, sure, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, this whole idea that you know, the more people are mining in the network, the more complex it becomes to, to mine a block, and and sort of like this expansionary, uh, overreaching uh, dimension of Bitcoin is really problematic, and that's that's politics. You know, people like to uh, sort of create this sort of anti-politics machine. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, around this, all these technologies, and oh, you just have to trust the blockchain, and I don't know what. Uh, but that's that's bullshit. I mean, there's a lot of power yeah. uh, distribution in systems like Bitcoin, like Ethereum, like and so on and so forth, uh, that are not spoken about enough. And this is something that I encountered when I started working on Circles, uh, and I try to tease out. I mean, I, I often call the uh, the people who started a lot of these projects like crypto kings. You know, like people who got, got their first at the beginning of Bitcoin, Ether, and so on. And they just kind of created this virtual realm, this virtual feudal like land, let's say, uh, where they just kind of extract some of the transaction fees from people being on their virtual land, uh, you know? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, the blockchain space has a lot of uh, 
potentialities, but also a lot of problems if you don't really think about yeah the design also of these algorithms and the politics that they carry, uh, how do they impact people like the users, you know, the people who use yeah. these systems. It, yeah, it, it's it's sort of this. Um, I think it was like I think Zizek has talked about it a bit, but like how anti-ideology has become an ideology unto itself. And I feel like that's that could that characterizes a lot of the crypto space where people are so adamant that they're anti or non-ideological or non-political. Like a really common one is that Bitcoin is like non-political money, which is like uh, it's horseshit. I mean, <laughs> it's very political. <laughs> All money is political, you know. I don't think it's possible to be uh, non-political. But so, in uh, some of your work, you've talked about one of the ways in order to make money more democratic is uh demurrage i think that's how you say it right demurrage yeah it's some french demurrage. name <laughs> demurrage <laughs> so that and that's that's an idea that's been it's been played around with in the crypto space in particular in like very small projects they never get very big i've noticed like the only big the ones that get big are the like hard quote-unquote hard money type of ones like bitcoin and ethereum which I find interesting, but yeah, I'm just curious uh, on, on your thoughts around uh, demurrage and like how that plays in the role of, of democratic money. And I just think it's an interesting idea that is very difficult to implement outside of blockchain from what I've seen or outside of cryptocurrencies is quite difficult to implement. Like, you know, your US dollar is going to evaporate in your bank account if you don't move it or something like that. You know, it's, it's a lot, there's a lot of difficulties, but blockchain sort of, I think, opens up that space a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just it's just the way um, the way I think about the mirage rotting money or putting a parking fee on money, right? It's like it's just a way to allow for more circulation uh, um, of resources, uh, of course, also money. Uh, but it's it's something that you have to really test in practice, right? Like, I mean, that right now with circles, we have this in, like inflationary system. Uh, whereby we just create money uh, equally, let's say. We issue money at an equal rate, uh, everybody who enters. And so, like, the logic is kind of, like, as follows, you know, like, basically, like, right now, the system, the money system, uh, works in a way where it's produced with the principle of scarcity. So when the bank issues the debt, they only issue the principal, uh, so the amount that they lent, but they do not uh, make the interest. So, you know, the interest comes from uh, other people kind of competing in labor markets for, you know, the surplus values and stuff just to get it, you know, extracted and then give it back to a bank. So it's kind of like a, like a vacuum cleaner, you know, it's a vacuum of value in some way. And so by making money scars, uh, you create the necessity for growth, for economic growth. And that's really at the core of the ecological disaster that we're living uh, this ability for banks to issue money and then lend it out so they can make real estate investments or whatever it is, you know? Um, and so the logic with circles, and that's why it's kind of counterintuitive to a lot of people, of course, is that we are just making money abundant and then people can decide what resources they can claim with it. Uh, so to kind of get over this idea of uh, uh, of the, necess the necessity of the, the growth imperative, as it's called sometimes, right? Um, now with Demirage, uh, 
I'm still playing with this idea. Like eventually, I I dream of of, of a time when when with circles we also decentralize the protocol, so there can be many instances of the of of circles, let's say, and one could have demirage, for example. So uh, it's kind of like another way of doing the same thing, I guess. So um, although I'm I'm sure they will have slightly uh, different effects, uh, whereby you know you issue money constantly, but then. Over time, if you don't use some of it, 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 it dies, no? like anything else in life. And you know, one thing about Demirage that is worth noting is that it makes uh, for more long-term thinking rather than sh the short-termism of, of debt money today. Uh, so this negative interest on money, quote-unquote, uh, allows for people to just kind of like, you know, be more present in some way. Uh, and also by, by doing that, also uh, thinking more long-term somehow. Um, which is something I think we really desperately need in this uh, 2020s. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems to me there's sort of like an inverse relationship with how money grows and how the economy like ends up growing, maybe. Yeah, like at least that's that's how I'm reading it when you were talking about how um, that these hard monies are sort of like making it a requirement for economic growth in order to pay off debt because what a lot of Bitcoiners and I think uh, if people in Ethereum as well are sort of just completely ignoring, maybe unconsciously because they benefit from it, but is that in the long run, this type of money system ends up just helping creditors rather than rather than debtors in like a huge way. It's just totally if if you if you uh, loan out one Bitcoin, you know you have to pay it off in in five years, and there's less Bitcoin in the economy. You have to work so much more. <laughs> Than you would have, you know, five years ago to pay off that loan, and that's that's just insane. Yeah. It's a lot more energy output, right? Yeah, so that has to do with the uh, the climate crisis as well. Yeah, yeah. So of course, I mean, it's it's claiming resources. It's kind of like making it imperative that you know these debts have to be paid back, and so we need to grow at the level of like when the central bank sets their like target interest rates. That's basically. They're saying we're gonna try to grow at this much, at this you know, at this rate, uh, because that's kind of the rate at which you know banks can then lend out money on top of that to make some sort of profit, uh, and so you know that's that's how it works, yeah. right? Uh, so yeah. if you're really serious about about abolishing or like uh, or at least changing the institutions of money, um, we really have to think hard about. Uh, what types of monies we want to use for on everyday basis, you know, um, how they are created, how are they issued into the world, how they are, you know, are you know, brought into being, uh, so to say. Um, so you mentioned already that you have uh, a really big interest in, um, in Ojalan's work and his idea around uh, democratic confederalism. So I was wondering if you could maybe speak a little bit more about how, where that fits into your ideas around democratic money. And yeah, if in, if you know of any like examples that Rojava or uh, you know in the Kurdish movement they've been able to implement any sort of like democratic money and and how they use it. Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm interested in Ojala, of course, but just the Kurdish movement as a whole, so the women's movement, have uh, been really key in creating these really uh, democratic structures in, in Rojava. Um, it's basically a system of of grassroots democracy, of, of direct democratic uh, assemblies or councils, uh, whereby people get together at the at, at the smallest levels of, 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 it could be the neighborhood, it can be the street, and then they federate, uh, uh, you know, 
So you, you just send a representative from the assembly from like, I don't know, this neighborhood to the next one. And, and then you can create a, a way where um, people have the power to decide over the things that affect them very, very locally. Uh, and the power always remains with them. And this, then these representatives from the local areas can then go to uh, more, um, uh, yeah, like more federated levels, no? to represent just the decisions that are made. And you also have uh, dual structures. So there's also uh, a women's assembly, let's say, or a women's uh, structure only. There is a mixed one and a women's one to maintain the the sort of a power parity, right? To kind of fight patriarchy at a structural level uh, in terms of how people organize. So for example, one of the collectives I'm part of here in Berlin is called the Bloque Latinoamericano. Uh, we've learned a lot from uh, the Kurdish movement, and now we've even implemented this type of structure. So there is a women's assembly uh, in uh, the Bloque Latinoamericano, uh, influenced by um, the instance of genealogies, signs of women, and, and just, yeah, the, the Kurdish movement, uh, which is, I think, probably, it's uh, something I always say, is like, the most revolutionary movement in Europe is a migrant movement. It's, a, you know, it's uh, the Kurdish movement, I think. Um, mainly because the critique that they make is a civilizatory critique. I think that's how you say it in English, or civilizational critique. So it's basically like saying, you know, it's not uh, just the birth of capitalism that we really have to look at, but actually uh, the underlying structure within it, which is broader, which is that of patriarchy, kind of uh, the, at, the, at the origin of the emergence of some things like hierarchy, you know? So what they say is basically that, you know, uh, women were the first colony of men. And through this process, then, you know, uh, other uh, parts of life, other, you know, uh, things became uh, colonized. And so, you know, it draws a lot on, uh, you know, people like Bookchin, for example, but not just uh, this notion of social ecology that uh, the, the very notion that we can think that we can dominate nature is rooted in the real domination between men over men and men over women. And so if we do not uh, create social forms or ways of relating to each other that are not based on domination, uh, we cannot also release ourselves from, uh, you know, from dominating nature, so to say. Um, here quotes, right? Um, and, uh, and then, I mean, this relates to democratic money in the sense that it is kind of a way of saying, okay, money is, has been for the last 5,000 years or more uh, in many sort of the hegemonic civilizations of the world, uh, um, a disciplining tool uh, to make people go into into slavery, into wage slavery, uh, into bullshit jobs, into many uh, uh, forms of uh, yeah uh, of uh, domination, I guess. And so, basically, what would it mean to create a uh, democratic money following these principles. It will also mean, of course, the democratization of the economy as we know it, meaning, you know, economies that are more local, that are more sustainable in the sense that, you know, things are more regional, you know, it's more local solutions for global problems. It's not, you know, this sort of globalist, globalist uh, first approach is more really being rooted in the area and knowing that every area is different and has different needs. Uh, and also different resources, uh, and it's also the decentralization of power in a way. And and these three principles come together with this idea of the democratic confederation, right? Which is uh, when you know you federate together, you confederate together all these autonomous democratic units, 
that are all organizing the water system, the transport system, the logistics system, the product, you know, the, produ uh, the production of food, uh, the caring, uh, the, the care work, and, and so on and so forth, um, and also money, right? Uh, so it's like some sort of democratic confederalist money system, I guess. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I mean, circles is just like the beginning of these ideas, I guess, in so many ways. Like, um, I'm sure many things will come out of it. Uh, it's just a beginning attempt to really try to do this and practice. And of course, that has many contradictions given the political economy of things like blockchains, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in Rojava, I know that um, there have been many, maybe some attempts at doing some sort of money system there. I don't know, maybe with Faircoin at some point, uh, but I really don't know, to be honest. Uh, it would be nice, actually, to to see how, you know, there can be some forms of uh, of exchange there that are not rooted in the, in the Syrian uh, money, just in general, in everywhere. I mean, I think it's like, so long as we keep using the promises of the state, we will keep reproducing it. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? So... I, I really hope that, like, some sort of crypto libertarian is listening to this just to get a <laughs> a left-wing version of uh of real libertarianism i guess yeah i guess i mean i'm a libertarian socialist in that way i guess yeah. i yeah, mean yeah. I, I mean i don't really i mean the thing is this these traditions come a lot from europe but they were not invented in europe i mean there is a big critique now and i really like this uh it's also something david wrote about in his last book is uh, that, you know, a lot of the ideas of Marxism and, and, and so on come really from the encounters that co co like colonial people had in the U.S., for example, what is now the U.S., uh, with indigenous confederations like the Iroquois people in, in like, you know, North, uh, East, yeah, it's North East New York, North East uh, U.S., right? Um, whereby they had, you know, uh, the land was owned by women. It was matrilineal. Uh, they had also federations between them and they had ways, they had also money systems that had their own imaginations and that represented their value system. Um, and then the U.S. kind of took that as a, as a sort of model for their federation, copying a lot of the symbols and stuff like that. Uh, and it also influenced Marx. I mean, Lewis Henry Morgan, uh, the father, quote unquote, of anthropology in the U.S. was a, a fanboy of all these uh, indigenous people. And he met, actually, uh, real living Iroquois people who were, you know, learning law to fight the colonial system at the time. And he wrote about it. And there is this book by Engels, it's famous, it's called like The Origins of the, of the State and Kinship, uh, I don't know what else. Um, and, you know, it's not just this. I mean, Rousseau, uh, Voltaire, all these people were really drawing on inspiration. All the enlightenment in Europe was really a, a reaction to uh, the, the, the colonial encounter in a way. I mean, the the encounter of, you know, really radically democratic peoples <laughs> by our standards yeah, yeah. today, right? Uh, so Guatemala is the same. Guatemala had, you know, many indigenous communal governments uh, and still has uh, for hundreds of years uh, against the state, uh, against the sort of, you know, enclosure of the state and, and also capitalism. And they're still there and they're still resisting. It's just people don't pay attention to them. The, the Zapatistas, you know, are, are a representation of this. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying this episode so far, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and join the crypto leftist communities on Discord and Reddit, which you can find links to in the show notes. 
If you're enjoying the interview or find the content I make important, you can pitch in to my efforts starting at $3 a month on patreon.com slash the blockchain socialist to help me out and join the newest patrons like Alex isn't here, Ian and Paul. Any amount really helps since making this stuff isn't free in terms of money or time. As a patron, you'll get a shout out on an episode like I just did and access to monthly Patreon exclusive Q&A episodes where you can submit and vote on questions you'd like me to answer and I'll give my thoughts in roughly 20 minutes. On the latest Patreon exclusive Q&A episode, I gave my hot take on NFTs and how the left has been reacting to them. Of course, I'll still be making free content like this interview to help spread the message that blockchain does not need to be used to further entrench capitalist exploitation if we put our efforts into it. So if that message resonates with you, I hope you'll consider helping out. But now let's get back to the interview with Julio Linares from Circles UBI. So I really wanted to get to, um, to this question because uh, it's a really, really common critique that I hear from people on the left when they critique anything related to cryptocurrencies or blockchain. And is that because, or they say that the ultimate goal is to have a moneyless society, right? Sort of like communism is having uh, a moneyless society and therefore we shouldn't engage in things um, related to crypto. And, and I think that's also is why, you know, there aren't very many leftists who talk about like finance and, and money in general, I think as well is, is quite rare. But I'm curious to hear from your, you know, libertarian socialist perspective, <laughs> you know, about that critique. Uh, you, you had mentioned something really interesting that I, that I really identified with during the Money Lab conference about, yeah, trying to make that a reality, but understanding that there are uh, steps to take in order to get there and yeah well uh, yeah yeah I'll let you speak yeah i mean the thing is the thing with money is that um um it's sort of in all dimensions right it really moves people uh in so many different ways in, in german the word for debt is also the word for guilt so schuld or schulden uh and so if you talk to germans about money <laughs> they get really you know it's a taboo you know um, <laughs> and so, especially with the German left, I see that a lot. I mean, people are just not used to thinking about money. It's something that just is there, you just have to kind of have to use, and it's awkward to talk about. It. It's always intense, and oh my god, and who's gonna pay for the bill this time? Oh no! And like you also see it you know, every time you want to pay a bill somehow, and the people are like, "No, let me pay. No, you pay. No, you pay." So it it, it kind of you know has this weird. It carries all this. Uh, Money's awkward, you know. I had an essay in there published about this called the, you know, <laughs> money being awkward. Awkwardness <laughs> uh, of money, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, because it has a lot of a lot of power, right? It's a, it's a symbol of power in so many ways. And so, um, I guess it kind of goes to if you think of money as power, uh, then you also then you then the conversation starts to shift, right? Because the left a lot of the times tries to avoid talking about power. You know, they're against power. They're like, oh no, power is bad in some, some ways, you know? Even though capitalism is, or I think, I think the socialist, Marxism, I guess, is a analysis of power under capitalism. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Capital, yeah, I mean, exactly. Capital as power in some way. Um, and so, yeah, I heard this many times from especially Marxists, right? Like, oh no, in a Marxist society, in a Marxist society, or in a communist society, uh, there wouldn't be any money and stuff like that. But that's, uh, you know, I think it kind of misses the point. It's like imagine a society where people don't make any promise to each other. Uh, how would you, how would you, you know, deal with uh, 
you know, social obligations, you know, like I give this for you, you give this for that. Like, you know, it's just really a way of, of accounting for things in some way. Um, I guess, I guess also what I argue for is actually the opposite is to say, we don't need a moneyless society. What we need is to make money more pluralistic. You know, now we live in a world where money is a monoculture. We use one type of money, one money form, uh, one general purpose money, let's say, to uh, move resources around, to, uh, you know, fund education, healthcare, uh, international trade, uh, you know, pay wages, all, all these things. Um, and that, of course, leads to a monoculture of many other things in life. <laughs> and so yeah. I think it's like, uh important to uh create different money structures uh that that of course have different functions but actually that the structures serve you know uh for different you know uh things no so in back in you know uh mesopotamian times you had different monies for different uses and they all had their own structures right and that made also economies more more i guess resilient in some ways Right, because you you were not just stuck with one structure that had to fit all the, all the you know one size fits all type of thing. Uh, I think we can. I don't know. I have a guess. If this is not, uh, don't take my word for this. Uh, that probably like before the rise of patriarchy, there was you know more pluralistic ways of. I mean, it was probably not even called money, right? It's it was something else, right? Like like if you look at money from an anthropological perspective, also like the iriqua that I mentioned before. They had shell, like they had like, uh, how do you call this? Not uh, the wampum, the wampum belts, right? Where they would write their peace treaties and also and also war. So it was a symbol for war and peace in a way. And the wampum kind of, you know, it also served as a way of exchanging stuff, but it really was a representation of their universe. So now we're really stuck in this sort of dollar imagination that just reproduces the values of, of empire, of the US empire and so on. And also, of course, the other nation states. And so to get out of this imagination, we really have to think hard about how and also practice it. Like, how do we create other monies, you know, for other, you know, for other social forms to emerge? And, yeah. Maybe that's one of the reasons why the left is so fragmented, maybe a lot of the time, is that we don't really have a way of... I don't, at least I feel like we don't have a way of like a standardized way of like making obligations to each other, promises to each other to like, to reach some sort of end. Whereas for the, I think for the right, it's very easy. It's like, well, if you're making more money, then that's good. Like that's, I think that's why you don't like on the right, you see a lot, like you see people say crazy shit, you know, to like uh, Republican politicians at their rallies. And they're like, I don't care, whatever. Sure. Yeah. You're making me money. You know, or like whatever. it's like a. They have like a some sort of goal in mind, uh, usually revolved around making money. But on the left, we don't really have, I don't want to say a system of coercion, but, you know, we don't have like a similar way of like uh, helping organize us towards a particular goal, which ends up. Yeah, I think it's, know, about, it's about like how, how we use power and, and what we use it for. Yeah. Um, I think that's the issue. People are so afraid to talk about power. Uh if, if I talk to, I don't know, a German bourgeois leftist person here in Berlin about power, they're like, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a white man. I'm not supposed to talk about this, you know? But it's there, <laughs> you know? It's really bluntly there. And uh, and so this sort of innovation and, like, blindness of, of, of power uh, kind of, like, 
also, you know, it puts it under the carpet somehow. And I think like we need to learn how to deal with our powers better. Now, I mean, there's all this language in the sort of, you know, political correctness uh, world about uh, privileges, right? And it's like, okay, yeah, people have privileges, and but they have to like accept them, you know, if they have them and then use them in a way where it fits for some sort of revolutionary purpose, uh, right? I mean, like if you're gonna, if you have powers, okay, share them, you know, uh, relinquish them, move them around, you know. Uh, but if you just like like these, like uh, you're not gonna really challenge the the, the power, the, 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 the you know, the more broader power structures that are there. I think it's a question of how do you use your positionality or your position in the system uh, to subvert it. You know, you know, as a migrant in Berlin, this is my 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 everyday problem with the with the German left is like. You know, they don't they don't get their shit together. They just they have a lot of power, but they just don't. You know, they're kind of really entrenched in this. You know, in the individualistic world uh, that is caused by the state, and it's caused by uh, you know these capitalist structures as well. Um, maybe we can go on um, to your work with Circles UBI. We've mentioned it a few times, but could you explain a bit what exactly it's trying to achieve? What what is it? What are what are its goals? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess Circles is a, a basic income project which is trying to uh, create a real-life basic income for people. Now, in practice, that means that people have to come together uh, and connect with each other. Uh, there is a system of trust in Circles, whereby when you trust somebody, basically it means that it means two things. Trust means two things in the Circle system. The first is this more like identity system to know that people are people. And then they can they can enter. And the second thing is that, you know, wherever there is credit, there is trust. You would only tr- you would only give credit to those people who you trust, right? You don't give credit to strangers, right? So trust is a is a big element when thinking about money and, and also making money. And so even banks, I mean, they trust that you are not going to run away with your money somehow, and they can figure out a way to claim your resources if you stop paying, right? That's really coercive. Uh, with circles is more like okay, let's create a, a network where we all can have the power to issue money, and then think about how we want to deal with those debts collectively and, and, and democratically, um, right? So it's a it's a different experience of money. People are not used to uh, feeling like money issuers. People are used to being money takers, right? This is like the real be your own bank. You know how. Like Bitcoiners and Bitcoin, they always are like, be your own bank. Like this is like um, these type of mutual credit systems. I believe Circles is, sort of, is like a it's a mutual, based on mutual credit. This is really <laughs> literally being your own bank in that you are le- you are lending um, or not really lending, but you're like you know giving promises to people, and it's sort of the it's recognizing your own privilege or power <laughs> that you have just in order it like you know just. By default, as a as a human being, exactly, and, and that's also the point of basic income is that uh, it's a shift in how we value human beings. Today, you're only valuable if you work for a wage at some company, right? Uh, to the system, right? Um, and so, with circles, it's being like, no, actually, you can issue money and you can decide what things you want to value in, in in the world, right? Um, and so in practice, a lot of the work I do here in Berlin is basically like talking to different uh, people. Uh, so different businesses, different cooperatives, different farms around Brandenburg, which is the, the, the kind of like the state that, 
it's a ring basically that surrounds Berlin. Um, also the logistics people, alternatives to logistics. There is a really nice group here called the Food Ferries and one of them uh, has this project called Eco Logistics. I think that's really nice. Um, and sort of like connecting all these sectors to each other, right? To create a, I mean, the, the methodology I borrowed uh, from uh, Sardex, which is a, a very, very nice mutual credit system in Sardinia. Uh, hello to Giuseppe, if he's listening. Um, where basically you first build, a, um, I mean, in business uh, jargon, it will, you, you will call it a business to business uh, uh, barter system, whereby businesses connect uh, with each other and exchange the things that they need with each other uh, for you know the circle's credits. Uh, so it's I call it a merchant's network or a merchant's circle. Uh, so once you have that, uh, so like that's you know my work on an everyday basis is talking to I don't know beer company, supermarket, cooperative, uh, you know uh, you know care people who want to provide care for you know others for pets whatever. Uh, but mostly targeting collectives like businesses, uh, cooperatives and stuff, connect them with each other, build that trust and make sure that works well. Uh, and this is, you know, more or less where I'm at at the moment. We launched in October. Uh, so I'm building that up also with people here. We do assemblies every month whereby, you know, different people come and they say, oh, okay, I want to be in the radio team. And so we have a radio team now with some friends and we're gathering radios in Berlin to uh, email them and get them to accept circles for advertisement for from local shops, uh, whereby a shop can pay uh, their circle can issue circles to the um, to the radio to pay for underutilized airtime, <laughs> uh, so they can uh, uh, put the business there and then people hear it and then maybe they go and spend their euros and also eventually circles there, for example. No, uh, and also with logistics stuff like how do you get things from you know, the rural area to the urban area and also within the urban area. Um, it's really practical work. It's not, uh, uh, you know, high and mighty theory. It's just really, really practical. <laughs> you know, I was just messaging uh, one, of the, one of the writers and he was like, like, I don't, I don't want to go to the assembly. Like, I don't want to do the theory, man. I just, just tell me when to be there and I'll be there, you know? Uh, and I was like, okay, you're right, <laughs> you know? So it's important to, you know, make it really grounded and palpable and useful for people. Like you. You need to ask them what do they need, you know? Uh, where can we find that in the network, uh, right? And so it's, mm -hmm. that's the process. And then they, and then it's like, okay, what can you give? You know, what can you, what's your capacity, right? Uh, what's comfortable, you know? Because a business is not going to start off by giving all their products in circles. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to pay their rent, right? Yeah. So they have to start at some percentage. And then based on that, they can issue credits. And there is a methodology that, that, that I use to do that. Um, and then, yeah, um, but of course, it's not just my my work. It's the work of many people. It's the work of you know my. my we just established a, a cooperative here in Berlin, a Genossenschaft, to try to do this work. Uh, and yeah, uh, there's also a collective called the Bits Possessed Collective uh, that formed out of circles. Uh, and now it's like I think four or five different developers who do work on circles, but also on other projects which is also nice uh, because, you know, programmers are usually lonely people. Uh, so they, it's nice that they organize also. Um, and yeah, also my coworker Blanca Bai, who we do a lot of work here in Berlin on and, and just many interesting people that are, you know, slowly getting together to do this. 
yeah, I guess that circles. I know. I mean, the system. I don't. I didn't explain how the system works. Should I do that as well? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. It's um, it's sort of as far as I understand, you can add on to it. It's like a you have to trust. You have to be trusted by three other people who are already trusted by the circles that are within the circles network, and then you're allowed to receive the the UBI and and trade uh, and give um, circles. Exactly, currency. and exactly. And then, yeah, as I said before, there is this equal rate at which people have the power to issue money. Uh, so at the moment is you enter and you get 50 circles. And uh, after that, it's eight a day. Uh, but, you know, as I was saying, like, it's this idea of abundance, right? Uh, that many people, even like radical people are not used to because they're just like, oh my God, but you're only really issuing money if you go below your balance because that will be the zero in mutual credit. And so you're really only like going in and out of debt when you issue a payment to somebody and that's when money gets created. Exactly. <laughs> and so that's the, you know, um, it's a different logic. Uh, it's also a different way. We're, we're testing, we're playing with this to see how people feel it. Uh, um, yeah, right now, uh, yeah, so there is this element now where these different individuals are in the world of trust and then as they trust each other, payments can go through the network. So. If I don't trust somebody down the line, I can still pay them through other people that trust them. So we call this like transitive exchange. And it's just based on this idea of the six degrees of separation that connect everybody in the world. Uh, so basically, you know, uh, money always has this two-sidedness. So it's like the positive and the negative side. So when I issue a payment to you, I go negative and then you're positive and then you issue a payment to the person I want to pay uh, with your own credits. Uh, and then you go negative and then he goes positive. And so you, you end up being uh, neutral, let's say, uh, mm-hmm. and then he's positive and I'm negative. And, and so that's how the, the, the rippling credit network works. Um, and yeah, and we're gonna have group wallets uh, coming soon. Uh, so people nice. can come together and uh, you know deposit their own circles there and start exchanging with other groups. At the moment, it's kind of hacky. Like I make groups, you know, like it's not recommended, of course, but <laughs> I make uh, group accounts for individual wallets, which is not ideal because only people should issue basic income, not groups, you know, not like uh, mm-hmm. businesses or cooperatives. Uh, but that's kind of like where we are at in terms of uh, like the development work, the programming work. And then eventually also we hope to have some things like group currencies as well, where people can burn their personal credit and then issue more community credit based on networks. Would it be like the equivalent of like making an, I don't know, an ERC20 token, but for your cooperative or something like that? Yeah, basically. I mean, these are all ERC20 tokens, but we really, you know, think about them and try to like really get people to also Mm. think about them as a credit system, right? Uh, so everybody has their own money printer machine individually. So everybody, there is no one circles, right? Everybody, you know, all the 100,000 people that joined the system when this thing became viral are all issuing their own circles, so to say. So ev- everyone is their money printer. Go burr. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> kind of, everyone yeah. gets the rights to, uh, to burr the money printer. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And it only makes sense when you... Uh, issue it out to another person, right? And you yeah. account for those promises as, as real and equal between each other. Yeah. 
that's the idea. I mean, and of course there will be many offshoots of this. People will take it in their own directions and stuff, but that's yeah. also kind of what we want, you know, to decentralize it. We do also international assemblies. I just had one yesterday uh, where people from Costa Rica, Serbia, uh, many parts join, you know, Belgium also. Uh, they're starting their, you know, circles, trying to figure out how to do it there. And we're just providing some materials to do that. Um, yeah, we had to create a structure for that because when it became, when the circles launched, it was initially for Berlin and then it became global pretty fast because of crypto Twitter. And then <laughs> we just had to figure out a way to, you know, uh, get people who were actually interested in building an alternative. And now we do these assemblies and it's nice. It's a nice way of uh, spreading these ideas. I actually wanted to ask you about um, the release because, <laughs> I mean, I, I admit that unfortunately I also mis I misunderstood uh, what Circles was in the beginning. I think just like everyone else <laughs> on crypto Twitter, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I imagine the release must have been crazy because at first, I think my understanding along with probably most other people was that anybody could trust anybody uh, in the beginning that you can just sort of make your own circles of trust. Um, but in reality, it, it it started from the, I guess, from Berlin, like from the nucleus, and then and then spread out from there. So then everyone was just like spamming their circles link to, to get trusted by random people on the internet. I was like, this is defeating the purpose. What the hell are you guys doing? Everyone just like, they just want their UBI because uh, they think it's just like a normal cryptocurrency that they can buy and sell. And then when they found out, here, seeing all the comments, people pissed off that they couldn't um, they couldn't make gains from their uh, circles coin. <laughs> so what what was that like? It was crazy. Uh, my yeah, the developers had it really rough, I think, um, because of course our servers broke down. We were not expecting this level of volume of, uh, of uh, you know attention, and it was also funny because we made an event in Berlin where all the businesses were there, and and they couldn't send money to each other. We we're like, what's wrong? Like this should work. And then we realized that on the other side, there were like people in the US, in the UK, in China, in Nigeria, in, you know, everywhere just trying to enter the system. And so it was kind of like clogging it somehow. And, and uh, yeah, I, I kind of like logged off that night and just checked again next, the next day at 5 p.m. And it was just pure madness, you know, like we had, you know, thousands of people and like all these three different channels and everything kind of like, like, you know, went really crazy and and it took us a while to like get the, the ship, the pirate ship back into steady waters. Um, yeah, and I mean, people still to this day are like, what's the value of circles, you know? Where can I exchange it for, you know, in which uh, decentralized exchange can I find it? And we're like, that's not how it works. Uh, the circles is not on a, it's not on a Uniswap or... <laughs> no, people tried, people tried. Really? Uh, but we were like, you know, you're just kind of like commodifying yourself kind of, uh, mm. or commodifying your own promises, your own, you know, money, let's say, uh, which is, I mean, I guess, you know, if people want to do that, that's fine, but there is no un like unique, let's say, because circles is not a, a, a crypto, a traditional crypto token, like a digital collectible, like like Bitcoin yeah. is, um, you know, you cannot really make it have like a like a price, so to say, you know, as a unity because it's a plurality by design, and so we did that on purpose to avoid the whole uh, 
speculation over it and stuff, you know. And people are still trying to find ways to, to speculate. <laughs> of course, I mean, this goes to show the colonization yeah. of money, that we are all just taught to believe that money is a commodity and that therefore we can make more money out of it. And, you know, yeah. and that's that's the challenge, you know. <laughs> it, it's sort of like, a, I don't know. I don't know if you ever watched uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, but there's a scene where they give away um, free money and <laughs> there's Patrick and SpongeBob going free money. And then everyone's like, they're all turning their heads, free money. And then there's a huge line where they're just giving like bags of money to everyone. <laughs> I'm going back in line. such a stupid idea and how can you not make money with such a brilliant idea <laughs> at first we didn't know what to do with all the money we tried burying it <laughs> shredding it <gasps> and burning it <gasps> but in the end we decided to just give it all away come again sir i'm getting back in line <laughs> that's basically what we're trying to do yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was very funny <laughs> um, yeah, I, I apologize for for my misunderstanding. I, <laughs> it's good. No, no, it's I, I fine. Was trying to make a, I was just no, trying to make my own circles with my friends. Of course, I mean that was a problem. I think uh, I also it was like an unintended consequence, I guess, because many people were right. I mean, they were like, "Oh, what do you mean? This is unconditional. I have to find three people in Berlin to trust me." But I mean, I don't know, uh, Utah. <laughs> Sorry, like you know, we we didn't think about like like th that this could happen i mean that this is the crypto and this could happen uh and so that's why we started making these assemblies to try to like get people to come and you know have them on a on the jitsi and get to know them a bit and see what they're up to and give them tools or how they can get started that we have a handbook also you can check it out at the handbook handbook.jointcircles.net uh the graphics the graphic version is coming soon um yeah so eventually we also hope uh, that people will make their own instances of the web of trust so they can create their own local web of trust and they can decide also like maybe it's not three people maybe it's not no people maybe it's five people you mm. can choose you know we're even uh, I think because of technical reasons I don't know if this is uh, the latest status maybe I should share this but we're also thinking maybe of getting rid of these three trust connections thing just because there is this thing called the relayer within circles I mean the architecture uh, that always breaks down is a pain in the ass and we're just thinking okay let's just get rid of it and figure out another ritual way where people can you know trust each other to enter and still uh keep the because it's it's a way of making sure that there are not so many spam accounts happening right yeah. uh that's the reason for this uh uh so that if somebody makes a thousand fake accounts uh, and you trust them it means that they can basically through this transitive exchange uh, swap you out of your tokens and then just kind of suck them into another another fake account. So people shouldn't trust fake accounts, right? That's the whole point. Like people, you know, people should just trust people that trust. <laughs> so then, at the moment, the the circles network is it largely restricted to Berlin, or are there? Because I, I saw as well people like they're trying to like do a, a workaround where they add XDAI into their uh, wallet and then they like pay for it and then. Yeah, yeah. There is this, there is this hack that you can do where you can fund the the relayer, I think it is, and then yeah, and then you can deploy your own circles. But then it's like you're alone. You know, you really have to trust other people to like getting this sort of exchange happening. 
which people do. Uh, also, uh, we have around, haven't checked the latest stats, but we have around probably more than 100,000 people that have successfully joined from all over the world, and which doesn't really mean anything uh, other than that there is interest, which is nice. Uh, but in terms of actual activity, you know, we have emerging hubs in, so saying like Costa Rica, there's now one in Serbia happening, Belgium, uh, Portugal also, I heard of some communes that were thinking about using it, uh, some towns also. Um, on a more also like broader level, one thing I'm working on, and this is also not just circles, beyond circles, but is uh, an international network for, of mayors and like local leaders that, that you know, because circles is not the only uh, basic income currency, right? Like there are, there are already some attempts at doing this for years in like, for example, in Brazil, there is a city called Marica, which has been like issuing out a basic income to like, I believe one third of the population there in a digital currency called the Mumbuka. There's also one in Korea where 170,000 people in the region of Gyeonggi get a basic income with a local currency. And so we're trying to put all these things together and say like, tell like local municipal uh, mayors, they listen, you can issue money. Uh, you can give people a basic income here are some ways in which you can do that, right? And so that's also trying to, you know, do both. You're sort of like interrogating, or what's the right verb? Um, infiltrating the state with non-state tools to, <laughs> for at least for money in that, in that type of way, which is pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, it's also part of the contradictions, right? Like that That's one thing that I wish sometimes for the left to be able to hold in their heads, to hold contradictions in their heads, to like, to just know that there are going to be contradictions getting to whatever political goal you want to reach and, you know, living with those contradictions and just, but just like knowing how to navigate them and like acknowledge them instead of just like being like, no, that's a contradiction. Stop. Cause then it just like leads to nothing. I think it leads to like, you know, it just makes it more difficult to to do work and to organize and create action if there's if you get so hung up about this you know contradiction. Totally. totally. How do you how do you deal with contradictions? Personally, I, I mean, I guess sort of how I said, just sort of like I just keep it in my mind that you know I I already acknowledge beforehand that there are contradictions and that you know. Uh, we live in a society and, you know, my, my individual actions will not be able to, you know, change, change society in a whole in the way that I would like to see it. So, you know, I, I think I have to, uh, I guess, yeah, like allowing for contradictions and like, I don't know, a bit, maybe, I don't know if like ego death <laughs> that might be too far, but uh, yeah, just being, being able to, um, to live with contradictions, I think is important. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's also many, many kind of also awkward alliances you have to make sometimes, especially in the crypto world, like uh, where a lot of the capital is held by, by crypto kings and so on. Uh, but also understanding that they cannot, you know, do any meaningful change on their own. So, you know, one of the things also I'm, I'm trying to be really critical of and also trying to do is to figure out where and how to build bridges between the crypto world and social movements uh, that I'm a part of in Berlin. Uh, to create any you know meaningful change in the city in like different areas you know uh, and that's something ongoing I still haven't figured out exactly how to do that but I think there are many potentialities there to actually make me crypto meaningful in any way you know right now it's just just for bullshit yeah. basically 
uh, in my opinion. I mean, of course, not all of it is, but uh, but just mostly is for speculation, which is it's fine. I mean, you can do that, but uh, people speculate all the time. It's not just you know, it doesn't just happen in capitalism. Um, the question is like, how does it impact the rest of society? You know, especially now in these times that we're living on, right? Yeah, yeah. You're doing uh, you're doing God's work with that. It's uh, something that uh, I think we need uh, more people to be doing. And yeah, it's a big reason why I started the platform. It's to highlight the people that are doing that and to make more people who are doing that. Hopefully, <laughs> maybe one of my last questions is: I'm curious if you have any lessons from the Circles UBI project so far. Like, is there anything that you think other projects who are maybe uh, sort of similar or trying to emulate the same type of approach that Circles is doing, like what can they take away from it when they're trying to make their sort of left-wing, quote-unquote, crypto or, or blockchain project? I mean, definitely have have devs that you can trust, have programmers that you can trust because they have a lot of power also, uh, you know, to change the system. I mean, I'm an, I'm an economic anthropologist. Like I don't uh, have no idea how to code Rust or anything like this, but I trust my devs, you know? Uh, um that's one thing for sure um also you know make sure that um yeah i guess understand the local context as well i think many people try to do this like global first approach and it really never works uh i really always say like you know that you have to think where your feet are um and that's really important to understand the local context and what are the needs there, uh, and how can you embed your currency there in a in a way that's meaningful? Uh, I think oftentimes with uh, community currencies, we have also this thing we created last year called the Community Currency Alliance, where there are many many different community currency projects from all over the world, and and they're all really really interesting in their approaches and stuff. But I think oftentimes what I've seen is that some of them, uh, uh, like over the years, I mean this is more historic stuff, like end up uh, stagnating over time because there isn't a, a, a political uh, and economic um, uh, like system or plan that embeds it with, you know, for like me, a it's vision clear, for the future. like a vision. Yeah, exactly. Like a political vision that encompasses their approach. And, and that's also fine. I mean, some, some currencies are just really, really local, like hyper local. Uh, and that's totally fine. Uh, but I believe that if you're really, like in, in like trying to contest this power structure that exists today, uh, for me it's basic income, right? Uh, as a way of using these community currencies, like this this credit money systems, uh, it's just kind of a way of of trying to put that into practice and really trying to do that. Uh, but it can be anything, you know. So so I think that's also important. I, I guess to have this this project somehow in your mind and also uh, have it really practical, like. Don't uh, theorize too much about it. I guess I, that's also my mm -hmm. a lot of my uh, critique with a lot of like the the more academic uh, like leftist that leftism yeah. is like it's just you know Aledenken. It's all in the, in the head. You know, people in Europe think that they can solve all their problems just by thinking about them. It's wrong. <laughs> if that was true, all my problems would have been solved long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's fine, of course, to think and stuff like this, but there is this sort of yeah, colonization of the future. So maybe that's a different conversation. <laughs> maybe for maybe for that for our next conversation, <laughs> colonization of the future. 
um yeah thanks a lot for for taking your taking the time um to speak it was a really good conversation and i learned a lot and i think people who are listening if they're thinking about making or starting a project a left-wing project using uh, blockchain or crypto then um, i'm sure they've learned a lot and i hope they absorb the lessons uh that julio shared around circles ubi uh, but to end it off, um, maybe you can share with us where people can keep up with you and your work uh, and with Circles. Yeah, so you can uh, find me on Telegram as Ahmak, A-J-M-A-Q, at um, Amayan Nawal. Um, and then also on Twitter, I'm as Julio Linares. You can find me there. Um, you can also make uh, your wallet at circles.garden and read more about sort of how we try to organize things at handbook.joincircles.net to read more. And yeah, I have some texts here and there, but I mean, you can find them, I guess, on the internet if you want. But yeah, I don't really have much time to write. I guess I'm really just focused on on practice these days. (laughs) But for for preparation uh, for this interview, I did look up uh, some of your work. Which I can I can add to the video description if people want to read it on on democratic money and, and things like that. Oh, that would be nice. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks a lot, and yeah, we'll stay in touch. Good luck. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Gracias. Gracias. Ciao. Ciao.